how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to Creative Principles. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. In this podcast interview series, I'll be speaking with writers, directors, actors, musicians, chefs, and various other types of creatives as we bridge the gap between creativity and productivity. Here we'll be discussing the habits, routines, and lessons that help promote a successful creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. Or make sure to also check out Freelancer Class, where you can learn how to become a freelancer full-time or part-time. The online course will teach you how to make money online as a writer, marketer, designer, virtual assistant, accountant, or salesperson. Stay tuned after the show to learn how to get access for free to this $99 valued freelancer course, along with some other free items on our website, creativeprinciples.live. Duncan Skiles grew up in a movie-loving family. He started off making films with friends and families before he took a stab at professional movie making. For this feature, he teamed up with Christopher Ford, hot off the script for Cop Car, and they paired up for The Clothes Killer. The mystery stars Charlie Plummer and Dylan McDermott and exists within the vein of Rear Window or Disturbio. The official plot reads, a picture-perfect family is shattered when the work of a serial killer hits too close to home. In this interview, Skiles discusses his love of cinema, the origin story and influences behind Clove Hitch, making a disturbing movie set in daytime, the necessity of trial and error in filmmaking, moving from over the top to reserved works, and creating outcasts in film. I was 13 when my friend um, told me that uh, we could um, check out we could take classes at the cable access station in my town. And so I took a class um, and we shot some stuff on VHS and we cut it together. And from the moment that I cut something together, a shot from the beginning of the day was something that we shot at the end of the day. And it, it came together as one fluid thing that created something new. I sort of fell in love with it. I'd always, um, I come from a movie-loving family, and my dad has always brought home weird, interesting things to watch. And uh, then when I just had that first experience, I've been doing it ever since then. Our first video ever was called uh, America's Funniest Home, America's Funniest Crotch Kicks, and it was just a montage of people getting kicked in the crotch. So I see a lot of uh, uh, shorts and specials on your IMDb page. How did you kind of make the the transition into this new film as the director for Clovefish Killer? Yeah, I've done a lot of stuff, different kinds of things. And this one came about, it's actually kind of my third feature. The first two nobody really saw, and it's it's kind of debatable. They're arguably features, depending on how you define it. Uh, but this one... Um, I just got interested in the subject around 2010, um, read up a lot on serial killer stories and started taking notes and an idea was forming in my head and I just started telling people. And then, um, 
I told it to my buddy Chris Ford, who is a longtime collaborator. We met at film school, and he's a great screenwriter. And uh, he he said he wanted to write a screenplay, and eventually it kind of uh, came together because he was coming off of a movie that he wrote called Cop Car, which which did well. And then people were asking him, well, what else do you have? And he mentioned Clovitch. And uh, so that's how we sort of got some, the first little uh, boost to uh, to write it. And then it was another three or four years of just pitching it and casting it and uh, until we shot it in 2016. So it's a little different than a lot of the you know films that deal with serial killers. We're not really sure if this guy is or isn't, but we kind of see him from the beginning. Uh, it might remind you of something like Rear, Rear Window or Disturbia in, in some degree. What were some of your influences for the film? Well, in the Hitchcock world, he did one called uh, Shadow of a Doubt that is a very similar premise about a um, a young woman who suspects her uncle is a killer. And um, I like that because it it was scary, but it also had moments of comedy, and it allowed the um, family room to breathe um, and be a story about family. Tonally, I was very much inspired by uh, The Vanishing from 1988, the original version, because of the way it took something that was very disturbing and treated in a very matter-of-fact way. Um, it also played with chronology a little bit, but it, it just had this kind of like analytical viewpoint on something that was pretty dark, and I, and I thought that made it more scary. And then also um, the lake scene in Zodiac uh, was something I always brought up in pitch meetings because it's done without music and, again, very straightforward uh, shooting style. And uh, and then Michael Haneke, uh, especially especially um, Funny Games, the way that it's set in a pleasant surroundings, like a vacation house in the summer, and a lot of it takes place during the day. I really wanted a lot of Clovis to take place during the day. I was trying to create something, you know, that was, like, truly disturbing, and so I was just paying attention to what, what really creeped me out in other movies. And a lot of, most of the time, it was it was less, less stuff. Yeah, like that scene in, in Zodiac or Funny Games, it is, like, scarier in the day because you're not expecting to see something, like, so horrific, and it really shows, you know, the the killer that doesn't care as much. Um, how did you kind of talk to Dylan McDermott? This is a very, like, subtle tightrope he has to walk. There's a, there's a line where he's talking to his son. It says, men like you and me have thoughts. And it's almost threatening. It's almost like a father-son. Like, how did you kind of talk about that character with him? Um, I, I said that Don is the type of guy who always has to be in control in some way. Um, and he's obsessed with authority and the the trappings of authority, like uniforms, and and sometimes it comes through overtly, and sometimes it comes through subtly. But it's sort of always there. It could be disguised by like a dorky dad facade, but it's kind of always there. Um, and you see some, you see another example of that is early on in the film when. 
he wrestles with his son and it's kind of playful, but there's a moment where he insists that his son concede, right? Instead of it just being playful. And it, it was moments like that, I think, that helped us get into the character. And um, Dylan, fortunately, had an intuitive understanding of it and um, did a great job. So for the most part, after our initial meetings, I could just uh, I could just sit back and enjoy the performance. What were some of the other uh, threads you were trying to tackle with the film? There's a lot of talk on different articles about suburban America and that viewpoint. What were your kind of thoughts on that? Um, I came from a, a, a town like that. I mean, not so cloistered, but I do come from a relatively small town with um, a pretty big religious contingent. I wasn't uh, necessarily trying to make a statement about um, the suburbs, because uh, I think this kind of thing could happen anywhere, but I feel just more at home in that kind of environment, and I think I'm better able to uh, represent it than any other place. And I, I, there are just a couple aspects to it that are essential to the plot, like the the speed at which information spreads is very important um, to make Tyler feel like an outcast and uh, push him towards talking to Kathy. And then the religious thing is, uh, I think, an essential element in the relationship between the mom and the dad, especially. And that I think that religion for her is a little bit of a, of a salve um, and that she knows something about Don, but she is convinced that uh, he's been healed through the power of God. And, and that's kind of like a device to keep her from digging deeper. So you've got a couple of features under your belt. Is there any like one piece of information you wish you had kind of in the beginning or any advice you'd like to kind of pass on to novice filmmakers coming up? I mean, I got to the point where I met through trial and error and experience. Um, so I don't know if I could have, if there's anything I could apply, I'd say that my first two films were more like exercises um, in, rather than something that I I felt like really compelled to, that I had to tell a story about. And that's just my style as a filmmaker. I think that in order for it to be compelling in the end, it has to be really interesting to me. I was really interested in the subject of the Corvage killer, and that's how it sustained me through trying to get it made for over five years. So I'd say whatever you're doing, um, make sure it comes from within you uh, to sustain you. And it has to be most interesting to you first before it is to anybody else. Uh, and that'll come through. And the other thing is just um, be very um, diligent with who you hire because movies are a collaborative process. And if you hire the right people in the key roles, uh, it'll make you look like a much better director, as it did me with the Cold Hitch Killer. We definitely got a, a great cast here. Um, do you have any uh, experiences working with like Charlie Plummer? I know he's kind of like up and coming. How, how did he kind of come on to this role? He was recommended by CAA, who the agency who did a little 
packaging of the film. Um, it, that was early on in the process. He was probably the first main character to be cast, and uh, it was an easy choice. We got along. I thought he was really smart, and uh, it was interesting working with him uh, because I think I had something in mind that was maybe a little bit bigger. Um, I was looking for something like a, uh, almost like a hardy boy, rosy cheek boy scout type. And Charlie has very, uh, attuned, uh, instincts towards naturalism. And so it was a, it was a push and pull throughout the, um, the shoot for me saying, you know, stand up straight, stop mumbling, you know, you're, you're a Norman Rockwell kid, which would only really apply, you know, in the beginning of the movie. I wanted to see that transformation from that kind of kid to something that he became in the end. But so I was a little bit concerned, you know, he was coming off Lean on Pete and that movie to sort of put him through the emotional ringer. Um, and I was a little bit concerned about its fragility, uh, but it, it worked out in the end. I think it was a good thing um, that that whatever he wanted to do kind of tempered some of my instincts uh, towards going too far. And that'd be another example of like a productive collaboration. Yeah. Lean on Pete was definitely a, a brutal film. Um, has anything else changed after you've made this movie? Like were, were some of your shorts and things were that, were those more comedy driven? Are you kind of going in a, in a darker direction or what do you think's next for you? I would definitely love to make another psychological thriller. Um, my my work's been sort of evolving over the last few years towards a more minimal uh, style and like straight. I guess mm, I don't know. I guess I'd call it reserved. So I was doing over the top stuff for a long time. I was part of a. I mean, ever since that America's Funniest Crotch Kicks video, that's been kind of my MO is just to do kind of like crazy shit that emulated what I loved, like Sam Raimi and and um, Robert Zemeckis and just like really kinetic stuff with the camera. And that was just reinforced after college when I was part of a filmmaking collective uh, called Waverly Films. And it was, yeah, it was a lot of comedy stuff. Um, but I, I feel like I'm, I'm just more suited for psychological thrillers and horror movies and, and just been getting more into that lately. But it's a, it's not like a, a bullseye for me because I, I have reservations about um, the value, of the social value of that. You know, I, I don't want to make anything that makes a, the world a worse place. So I just, I always have to, it's a process and it's a negotiation of me finding the value in the story uh, so that I'm not just bumming people out. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Before you leave, don't forget to sign up for the weekly newsletter. We also get free access to the freelancer course, Master the Freelancer Mindset. This system will teach you exactly how to find clients online which includes step one, the psychology of the mindset, step two, how to create a killer profile, and step three, how to find quality clients. This online course is valued at $99. It can be yours for free. In addition to the free course, you'll get access to the ebook, How Hollywood Screenwriters Annihilate Writer's Block. This contains advice from Aaron Sorkin, Carrie Fukunaga, and William Monahan.
You can find all of this and more on creativeprinciples.live. Visit the website for new interviews, articles, and the daily blog. That's creativeprinciples.live.